Hello, everybody. This is Alex Barthet with the LeanZone.com podcast. Today, we're going to talk with Alex Jelinetsky, and we're going to talk about how to take control of your work comp and insurance claims to save real money. Um, Alex, how are you doing today? Doing great. Nice to be here, Alex. So, Alex, tell us a little bit about yourself and your company, and then let's get right out, right into the topic. Yep. So, um, I have uh, 12 years in the insurance and risk management space. Um, I also spent 10 years in the New York construction space. So, I have a lot of um, hands-on experience in both, and that's really how, how these two worlds combine and how I'm able to provide additional value to, uh, to our clients. Um, I kind of pride myself as a true problem solver. So that's really what, what we do. We get into the bot, into the, the meat of what problems are going on inside of an organization. And we put our, our boots uh, to the ground, so to speak, and we get, we get to work. Um, when I started my firm, it was really to do the work that the insurance carriers and the insurance brokers themselves really couldn't do just cause it's very hands-on and costly and time, uh, time consuming. Um, and I knew that there was a market for it in that the clients need it and can benefit from it firsthand. Um, but there's just not a lot of folks out there who, who can deliver it. And, and that was really the nexus of, of, of how we got where we are today. Well, well, the premise is simple, right? An open insurance claim, whether it's a geo claim, a work comp claim, costs a construction company money, right? So every day that that claim is open, it's affecting your ability to um, operate your business because it's affecting your loss runs. Um, it actually creates real liability and potential exposure. Um, it's going to affect your renewal rates, right? That's the premise of your business, right? We've got these claims. How do we how do we get our hands around them and bring them to conclusion? Correct. That's exactly correct. All right. So, so, so what, what are the is, what yeah, are the sure factors? Is. What are the factors that like are the the driving force to to determine like what's a, a claim that you need to tackle? Yeah, I mean, and to your point, right? Like one thing that folks don't really realize is that, you know, everybody sees loss runs typically once a year, um, but these loss runs are, are living, breathing organisms that are, are happening in the background of somebody's business, um, but they're just not in the forefront. They're not something that, that folks see every day. And so the way the insurance companies see these claims is whether, whether they're open or closed, they're really, it's a math equation. It's, you know, claims divided by uh, premiums. And if it's not a profitable situation for the insurance companies, rates are going to go up, which means the insured or our clients are going to pay more for insurance and therefore make less money. So really the factors in uh, closing a claim in general uh, for as little as possible is really, uh, it's about data. It's about reporting. It's about how you're managing these claims, um, who's managing it, and what the relationship is with the actual uh, claimant, the injured employee or the person who's suing you, et cetera. Um, so what are some of the things you look for? Um, well, let, let's back up. Yeah. So I'm a construction company. Yeah. I have an open work comp claim and I've got an open GL claim. Yeah. Um, they've been pending for a while. What do I do? Like, how do I... How do I attack this? Um, you know, the, I, I deal with an adjuster. They're telling me something. I have my agent. Uh, there may be a lawyer assigned. What, what can I do as the insurance, as a construction company principal 
to start to get a hold of, of this problem? Yeah, and I'll also take, before I jump into that, I'll actually talk a little bit about the why, right? So we talked about how it affects insurance rates, but one of the things that some folks don't necessarily understand, particularly with workers' comp, is that every company gets what's called an, uh, an EMR, you know, an experience modification rating. And that EMR is on everybody's policy, and it's either a credit or a surcharge to your policy. So if you're starting off with a premium of $10,000, let's say, once you involve your EMR, that could give you additional discounts um, or it could add additional surcharges. Right. It's like so, a rating up and down from one, right? That's correct. So one be means that you have the expected claims um, for your industry and your classes of payroll. And when you have higher than one, you've now inc uh, your claims amounts are higher than what was expected. And then if you're below one, you're doing better or your claims are less than expected and therefore you can get credits. So, so if we just use simple math, right? If I have a $10,000 premium and my EMR is 1.1, I'm paying a 10% additional premium. Exactly correct. Exactly correct. And what a lot of folks don't realize is that what goes into that EMR is a couple things. One is all the reserves that we were talking about before, a claim that is open. And even if those dollars haven't been paid yet, they're counting against the EMR. So uh, there could be a $10,000 reserve on a claim and you're paying in your insurance rates as though that dollar has already been spent. So managing that open reserve, so to speak, it has direct impact on your rates today. The other thing that happens in the construction space is for folks that do larger projects, larger development projects, there will be insurance programs called OSIPs or CSIPs, you know, where a tremendously common here in South Florida, every yep. job, I would tell you over 10 plus million dollars is likely under a wrap here in South Florida. So that's a great place to start as it relates to this, because most folks don't realize that in a wrap, uh, OSIP or CSIP, the workers comp claims are being reported from the wrap up carrier, which is not, you know, the insurance company that the contractor is using today but it's reported to the National Bureau who's calculating your EMR and it's factoring against you. So some folks may have a claim on a wrap job. They're not even thinking about it. It shows up in their EMR. They look at their loss runs. Their loss runs are clean, but that's because they're not looking at their, their OSIP or CSIP loss runs, their wrap loss runs. And wrap-up claims need to be managed just as closely as the ones that are not wrap-up. What we've seen here in the local market um, is when wraps started to emerge, um, a decade plus ago, um, work comp was almost always included in the wrap. That being said, I would say today we see wraps rarely include work comp. It's just typically GL. Um, so, but if my work comp is wrapped up in the wrap, how do I check to see, like, who do I call to check on what my how, how that wraps EMR is affecting my EMR? Yep, excellent question. So um, the National Rating Bureau is called the NCCI. And the NCCI is actually the, um, the, the association that actually does the calculating of your EMR. So essentially, like a credit report coming from any of the reporting bureaus, that's what the NCCI does for you. So you are entitled to your report as an insured, and you can request it. Um, they have a process on their website. 
uh, your agent or your broker uh, can request it for you, uh, depending on if they have access to the system and any, you know, outsource risk manager, you know, uh, third party type that's in this world uh, can request it. These are all things that, that we request all the time. So I as a contract, so like, so I guess what you're saying is step one in this process is um, have a risk professional, uh, whether it's you or my agent, yeah. go to um, this bureau and say, yeah. what's my EMR? Let me, let me, let me see what, what it, what my rating is as of today. Yeah. I mean, so what'll happen is the insurance companies get this rating from the NCCI and publish it right on your policy and you're getting credits or surcharges based on that. However, that doesn't mean it's accurate. So what you want to do is you want to get these worksheets from the NCCI to make sure that it is accurate. That's where you'll find out if a wrap up is actually reporting claims on your behalf. If the claims that were reported by your insurance company, were reported correctly, if the payrolls were reported correctly. So there's, there can be a lot of errors in that report. And that's one of the first things you want to find out. And most folks don't know that. And most agents and brokers, um, it's not something they really pay attention to because it's a lot of work to get it cleaned up. So, you know, so just, just, like, just like you're supposed to check your personal yep. credit every year, th this is no different. And, and you're actually saying, don't just look at the EMR and say, oh, it's a 0 0.98, I'm, I'm happy. Um, you know, maybe it should be a 0.96 because there's a, a, an item on the report that's wrong and you know, it's wrong, but you have to take the time to look, correct? Exactly. Correct. Yep. So EMR is related solely to work comp. What about GL? So GL, uh, doesn't have a central rating bureau that's tracking it. So, uh, GL is really more a function of those loss runs. Um, and unlike workers' comp, um, GL does not follow you in, in your loss run history. So if you have claims on an OSIP or a CSIP and a wrap, they don't follow you, um, unless it's your wrap up, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, so GL is a function of, you know, um, claims divided by premium paid. Uh, they call that a loss picture or profitability in the insurance marketplace. So really you want to make sure as a, as a company that you're profitable to the insurance companies. Now, most insurers and most companies feel that, Hey, listen, if I paid, uh, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year for five years, $500,000 in premium, and the insurance company paid out $300,000 in premium. Most companies feel that that was a profitable situation for the insurance company, but they don't really see it that way. The way they see it is a, a profitable account is, has to be, uh, have a loss ratio of less than 50%. Um, and it goes down from there because insurance companies do have expense, expense ratios to every policy they write. So it's not like they're, it's pure profit. Every policy, you know, premium they receive. So you really want to make sure you're working towards being a very profitable account for your GL carrier. And in turn, you'll be able to see better rates because of it. So what are some of the things that a contractor can do? to to achieve that goal yeah so uh generally speaking and this relates to to, to work comp um as much as it does to gl but gl just is different because you know claims get filed in the liability section you know you could get claims filed two years after the fact right um, so, so it's, it's got a little bit of a tail to it but generally speaking early intervention always indicates a better result um so the sooner you can notify 
maybe not necessarily your carrier. It depends on your relationship and your responsibility with your carrier. But notifying a risk professional who can guide you through the process as soon as possible is, is always the best medicine. That could be your agent, your broker, you know, third-party person that you work with. I mean, this is something that our clients do right away. They know within the first 24 hours of an incident, we want to be notified. And we're literally guiding the relationship with the injured employee, with the property damage. If it's a, if it's a claims adjuster who's coming in, third-party, if it's an engineer or accident reconstruction, the earlier the intervention, the better you, the better you could be. Uh, the Insurance Institute did a study that two claims that were filed, the same exact claims that were filed 14 days apart, um, the one that was 14 days late was 18% higher than the one that was filed immediately. Because in that time, in that 14-day span, time contaminated the claim. Details were lost. People forgot things. Statements were missing. And the claim in and of itself ended up costing more. So I always recommend having within the first 24 to 48 hours, somebody who knows what they're doing in this space has it reported to them and really following a very, very tight loss system and a loss, loss process. So um, on, the, on the GL side, mm-hmm. um, is there anything to be done once the claim is submitted? Um, you know, a lot of clients feel like they're just, they've just been strapped into the roller coaster, the bar came down, and, and they're just holding on for the ride. Is, is there something that they can do to, to exert more ownership and control? Absolutely. Um, and that's really what we advocate for. We advocate for you know, our, our firm in general, regardless of what we're talking about. We advocate for managing the factors that you can manage to ultimately influence the claim and the outcome as much as possible, right? We can't control anything. Really, control is an illusion in life. Uh, but influence is what we're trying to do and, and being and being an owner of the process the best you can. So as I said earlier, in terms of, you know, um, managing it tightly from the from the outset, that has a tail to it. You know, so if we're reporting it internally, you know, within the first 24 to 48 hours and we now have an action plan for each follow up item, if, the, if it's, you know, I'll use a workers comp claim just for, for clarification, because I think it's easier to attach to. Um, but it does relate the same way to GL. You know, uh, the, the incident gets reported internally. Well, now, you know, where is the person getting their medical care? Who is directing that medical care? What kind of medical care is it going to be? So we use nurse case managers to contact the injured employee, get them to a local place to get, to get the care that they need, follow up with that person to make sure they're going to the right doctors when they come back. When the doctor bills come in, they're being reviewed to be made sure that they're appropriate. Um, working together with the uh, insurance adjuster at the insurance company or having your own, if it's a TPA, if it's a claims advocate, you know, folks that we have on staff, you're essentially managing the process day to day and really, really tightly for the, for at least the first 30 days, depending on what's going on. Now, if you're talking about liability, it's very much the same way. If you have an incident, like we had a, um, an HVAC contractor who had uh, a or was accused of being the cause of, of a fire um, at, at a particular location. You know, the second that they were notified, we were notified, and we had third-party adjusters, accident investigators, uh, fire uh, cause and origin folks, engineers, to figure out what actually caused this. Most companies, when they get brought into some type of claim, they just 
take whatever they got, flip it over to the insurance company, and like you said, kind of clo- you know close their eyes and hope that it's a good outcome. The problem is it goes into a black box. They're not connected to the process. They have plenty to add. And by the time they get involved in a lawsuit, it's three years later, four years later, two years later. By then, they don't really remember much. They just remember the highlights and the lowlights. And at that point, it's really just damage control. This thing is going to crash, and it's not going to go well. Let's just try to keep it from you know, having seven or eight figures. Um, but by being more involved in the beginning, kind of precipitating uh, the claim itself and anticipating where it could go, you literally can can control at least the narrative in the beginning. You can't control the outcome, but you can control the narrative and you can control essentially what you can influence. So what about fraudulent claims? I mean, uh, South Florida, uh, some say is the fraud capital of the world, um, or at least of the United States. Uh, so we have, we have a lot of fraud happening here in South Florida. Um, how do I check to see if I, I'm the victim of fraudulent claims on my insurance policies? Uh, excellent question. Um, ultimately, I, I start this way. If you have a good relationship or a tight relationship you know, with the folks that work for you, and I mean, can't control how long they've worked for you. Sometimes these claims happen the first day that they're working for you. But ultimately, you're in business long enough to know if it doesn't smell right, it probably isn't right. And by having a really good communication between yourself and your employees or yourself and your supervisors, your foreman, your PMs, who's ever, you know, kind of your your ear to the ground, so to speak, um, acting quickly is always the best medicine. So we talked earlier about collecting data right away if something happens. Um, I often find when I'm doing um, data collection for our clients, you know, we find that, you know, one of the forms that we typically will collect or information we'll look for is a witness. But ironically, in this industry, nobody ever sees anything or hears anything. But what I found is that there are some witnesses that weren't witnesses, meaning they saw the employee on Friday before they left for the weekend, or they saw them when they first came in on a Monday morning. And in that time frame, they didn't maybe didn't see them get hurt, but they saw them leaving injured, right? They saw them leaving limping, or they saw them coming in on Monday morning limping. And maybe that injury took place over the weekend and just it's gonna actually show up as soon as it you know can present itself on Monday morning. So, so really having good communication with your folks to be able to ask those folks, hey, listen, did you see him on Friday? You know, did he was he okay when he left, or did you see him walking in in the morning when he was getting his coffee? I mean, how did he look when he came in? Um, so communication. If it doesn't smell right, it probably isn't right. And and if if there is any concern whatsoever, early intervention on performing surveillance or other types of activity is always going to yield the best results. We work very closely with fraud investigators, private investigators, insurance investigators. We don't need to wait for the insurance company to pull that type of trigger. We'll do it ourselves and basically get ourselves in a position that we are ready to go. God forbid this thing turns sideways. So are there are there tools that you have found that are either useful or um, um, not useful in determining fraud. So, for example, you know, uh, video cameras in uh, company vehicles, uh, video cameras uh, on the site. I mean, are there things that you have seen that 
work better than others that that um, our listeners should be considering using? Yeah, listen, audio and video, particularly video, is always key. Um, it's the best medicine. It's just not always realistic to, to some folks in some situations. I would say dash cams have been super, super effective, um, both driver facing and um, outward facing. Sometimes you're picking up things on job sites that uh, you didn't necessarily realize you were picking up because the camera is rolling. Uh, I have seen large projects or larger projects where um, a, a 24-7 running, running monitor is going to pick up any potential, you know, uh, issues that, you know, miraculously nobody saw. Um, ultimately, you know, uh, I would recommend against kind of collecting your own video, you know, with cell phone and whatnot, because it's not going to be admissible in a lot of cases. Um, but really, I think using your five senses, your common sense, and knowing something's not right, and then bringing in the professionals. I mean, the uh, the, the uh, investigators that we use, they're, I mean, and, and they're not, you know, they're things that everybody's heard of. Nothing I'm saying today, I'm inventing. Um, you know, the folks that, you know, they're scrubbing social media, they're scrubbing the internet, they're scrubbing, you know, what else is out there. They're seeing for activity. They're looking for uh, prior activity, prior claims in, in, in the claim system. Just being able to get a better sense of, of whether this is a habitual uh, claimant that's jumping from company to company or being able to sniff out the fact that it's truly a fraudulent injury and um, really just looking for, you know, a payday somewhere. This is, uh, it, before we wrap up, Alex, is, is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you think would be useful to, to cover? Actually, let me ask you one more question. Yeah, sure. What, what about uh, pre-screening? Um, you, you know, you mentioned, is this a habitual offender? Um, Having some information in advance would be helpful. Um, is there anything that you recommend? Yeah, listen, I, I, I love the opportunity to be able to uh, pre-screen employees if I can. Sometimes that's limited based on employer relationships, either on a job side, if, if there's a union involved or some type of private labor agreement involved where you're not necessarily able to do that. But if all things are equal, you'd, you'd love to have you know, a job hazard analysis where you know what the hazards are going to be on a job, you know what the demands are going to be in terms of what the lifting capacity is going to be, et cetera. And then be able to screen those folks before you bring them to a job site or just in general, before you hire them, that they're physically able to do, um, you know, to do the work. And there are ways and systems that you can put in place as part of your pre-hire process to be able to address that as a system and a process. It's something that we aid our clients with all the time in terms of putting a process together and being able to follow it from soup to nuts, from being able to know what to test to how to test it legally um, in a pre-hire screening process, and then being able to deal with it once you find something out in terms of rescinding that offer of employment or, or limiting you know, what they're doing. You know, knowledge is always going to be power, and I definitely recommend it, although sometimes not realistic. I do recommend it where possible. And then there's other ways to, to get to that place too, but it's really very custom, you know, custom to the client. Alex, uh, if folks had any additional questions for you, what's the best way to get a hold of you at Navigator Risk Management? So uh, my email is uh, AJ for my initials at navigatorrisk.com. 
Um, and you can also also put a, submit a, a, a question form on, on our website anytime. It's navigatorrisk.com. Um, and just like, you know, just thinking about long-term impacts of, of this concept, you know, of, you know, it sounds like it's a lot of work, but really it's just about working with, you know, the right people. I mean, you can literally lower your rates, get custom insurance. You can be, you can become self-insured if you, if you wanted to, you can get tax advantage from your insurance programs if you want to. So there's a lot to gain by taking this level of engagement, you know, in, in your claims world. Uh, it's just a function of, of what the fit is and, and what works for, uh, you know, for each individual company. Perfect, Alex. I appreciate you taking the time and sharing your expertise with our listeners. Um, so to everyone else out there, uh, I appreciate your time and we'll see you the next time on the leanzone.com podcast. Thank you.